HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Cooking Issues is brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, an employee-owned company that has been offering organic stone ground products for decades. With Bob's Red Mill, you're not just getting quality, you're getting flavor-packed healthy food that tastes great. Visit bobsredmill.com to learn more and use the code COOKINGISSUES, that's one word, all caps, COOKINGISSUES, for 25% off your order. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday from roughly 12 to roughly 12.45 on here. Oh, where are we? Anyway, Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, br- 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 Brooklyn. <laughs> Joined as usual. Well, that was a fast yeah. cutoff in the clap there. Yeah, well, they're very disciplined. Wow. <laughs> well, I'm going to do you first, Dave. Dave in the booth with the, with the fast clap. What up? How you doing? Good. How about you? I'm doing all right. Uh, last week, I was in Denver, right? We could talk about that. Uh, did you visit a dispensary? Uh, I did not, in fact, uh, deliver. A sp- uh, uh, sorry, visit a dispensary. Uh, as you may or may not know, uh, I am not a, a user of marijuana. I I have no problem with it. It's just uh, it's never been my thing. I'm more of a of a liquor guy. Now I know people who are very very fond of it, uh, and it is a fantastic place to go. Are you a dispensary person? No, really. It's like mm. when it becomes legal here, will you use it? Maybe I don't know. I got to find the right kind. You know. Yeah, yeah, uh, and we got Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. How you doing? Good. Yeah, good. So uh, we have some uh, interesting things to talk about. Uh, first of all, today, to today the fr- well, Bob's Red Mill just signed on to uh, do more. Um, what's it called? Uh, sponsorship of the of the radio program, right? Love those guys. Love the Bob's Red Mill. As we've said many times, it is not Bob's Mill that is red. It is Bob's Red Mill. There as a there's no green there's no green mill there's no purple mill. It's not like the dude's got like 15 mills and Red Mill is one of them. It's just Bob's Red Mill. And as a part of a signing on, you know, to be a sponsor of the show, he sent us uh, a Bob's bobblehead. Mm-hmm. So what do you think of it, Stas? It's right here on the it's table. Good. It's a hefty bobblehead. And, you know, Nastasia, I will say it this way. Uh, it's a, bobbleheads are the exact opposite of like the camera. You know how they say the camera like puts on 10 pounds? The bobblehead like takes off 10, 15 pounds. You know what I mean? It like, adds it to the head. 
<laughs> yeah, right. It takes it out of the body and adds it to point. the head. Yeah. Another interesting thing, I don't know if you guys know this, but bobbleheads, like a high quality bobblehead, which Bob's Red Mill bobbleheads, very high quality, they ship with a neck brace on them so that they don't bobble in transit. Did you mm, know that? No. Like that makes head, sense. Yeah, the head's totally locked in transit and then only bobbles when it's removed from mm. its bobble brace. Mm-hmm. You don't anyway. want any unauthorized bobbling. No, no, yeah. First of all, the one thing is, is that you don't want someone, it's like, why would you, here's my least favorite fl- phrase people use, so I'm about to use, why would you, if you get the milk for free, why buy the cow? You know what I mean? Don't you yeah, hate that phrase, I Anastasia? Do. I yeah. thought you were going to say, it is what it is. You hate that phrase? That's the worst. Well, what do you mean? Because it just like, because it's, it's meaningless. It's circular logic. Well, but it is what it is. Is what you. It's supposed to be meaningless because it's like I have nothing to add here. I'm just going to string some words together so that there's not a pause in the conversation. Just say nothing. No one likes it when you just say nothing. If you just say nothing, that's like super awkward. Like right, Stas? If if if, if you're like if you're like um, I can't believe this broke. This sucks. Oh my god, what are we gonna do? And like but I feel and, like that. It is what it is. Is like that one phrase you always say: "No choice, no problem." Ugh. No, no choice, no problem. Is I say that. When, you know, someone's like getting all bent out of shape and there's nothing they're going to freaking do about it, right? It is what it is. You don't even, usually when you say it is what it is, you could just say nothing if it weren't awkward. Am I right, Dave? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But like, for instance, on a radio program, you can't just have awkward silence. That doesn't work. <laughs> and that's about as long as I can let the I know, I know. I can't, I can't let it it's go like any Gerald longer. Is here. It is what it is. Also, let me just let me just throw in one more that I that I really hate, which is let's agree to disagree. Yeah, because that's not an agreement. And first of all, that's such like it's such an aggressive thing to say. You know yeah. what? Let's agree to disagree. No, it's it's saying like I do not accept your logic. I am just going to turn inward and double down on my incorrect thinking. Well, but it also assumes that you're correct too, right? I mean, yeah. like when you say let's well, agree to disagree, it's like not only it's, it's like I'm still right and you're not worth mm-hmm. discussing this. True. Crap. I mean, that's that's presupposing that one person is right in this equation, but that's not always true. No, but I think anyone that says that just believes they are right and also doesn't believe you're worth trying to turn to the correct side. Mm, yeah. I mean, it's like, I don't know. It's, let's agree to disagree. <laughs> On the meaning of that. Uh, so also, uh, see, recently, what I do, I went to uh, Denver, visited a candy factory, which I, I'm allowed to talk to. I can't talk about why I was there. We could talk about visiting the... Somebody uh, saw you on a show. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I am on an episode of Nailed It on uh, Netflix with uh, Nicole Byer and uh, Jacques Therese. Uh, I haven't seen it. I won't see it. I won't watch it. Yeah, they were like, did you see it? I was like, never, No, never, I'm not watching anything never. I'm in. Never. Like I you would do- never watch you on a show. No, of course not. You can't. You can barely watch me in the real life, and you know, like, yeah. and in the real life, at least you can make fun of me. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like uh, on a show, yeah. yeah, you can't even make fun of me and have me know about it. Because you know, for those of you that know, Nastasia is a cruel-hearted person. Uh, that's true. But she doesn't enjoy. Right. But she doesn't enjoy making fun of you unless you get to get her back. Like, she doesn't like. Like one-sided, no. making fun. Like she, that's why she doesn't make fun of dead people because what's the point? They can't come back at her. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. so for all of her like inherent cruelty, she she likes to she likes to she has a code. Yeah, she likes to you know she doesn't mind like taking it as well as as you know as giving it out. It's true. And so and that's the reason why I can get along with her. If yeah. she if she was just a you know one way or the other, I couldn't I couldn't no. handle it. That's why Nastasia and I, which is I, we shouldn't talk about it, bad to say, but like you know we can be kind of punishing on people. But 
we know whether they're going to survive working with us or not if yeah. they give it back to us. Yeah. You know what I mean? When Booker was at work, Mark was like, and Stassi's a mean person, isn't she? And Booker was like, no, never. I've known her for 10 years. Yeah, well. And I was like, that is so sweet. Yeah, because, okay, Nastasi is also preferentially nicer to certain people. Yeah, so Booker uh, of Booker and Dax, uh, my children, Booker now is an employee of Pasta Flyer. Nepotism. Yeah, someone's like, hashtag nepotism. What? Like, I, like how was he supposed to get your first job? So, yeah. And I was super proud. He worked the Fry Station, mm-hmm. which is like super... Mm-hmm. I mean, like, what could be better? I mean, that's... Although he did say multiple times to the other staff members on Fry Station, I'm very sensitive to heat. Yeah, yeah. You know what's funny? He got he got home and burned himself at home. Oh, wow. I was like, you know what? If you're going to work in the food service industry and you're worried about getting burnt, like, I mean, mm-hmm. eh, your career is not very long mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, do you know John Oliver? Yes. He did a, a string together of Rachel Ray saying that her fingers don't have any feeling anymore. <laughs> I see, saw that, yeah. Oh my God, it's so hilarious. So it's Rachel Ray, but he cut it so that she just looks really kind of like depressed and beaten down. Yeah, she looks like she doesn't have feelings of any kind anymore. <laughs> right, but she's basically just like trying to say that she's cooked for a long time and so she can't feel her fingertips anymore because they've been burnt so often. But if you see it all strung together, she's like, I have no feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Eh, he's funny. He's a funny guy. Anyway, uh, so also with Pasta Flyer, not only is Booker working there, but Nastasia now has found a new skill. What is it, Nastasia? Oh, I am. Uh, I am a connoisseur of black people made of free, tread carefully here. Yeah, <laughs> freehand uh, construction paper portraiture. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's portraiture. Yeah. So this portraiture. Nastasia calls me and says this to me, and I'm like, Nastasia. First of all. What? I'm like, what? Like, first of all, like, you're yeah, as Dave said, you're treading on some super thin ice here. I don't know where you're going with this. Right, Dave? Do you even still know where she's going with this? I hesitate to ask. All right, Nastasi, where are you going with this? We so we try to get a lot of famous people to to eat our food and I'm and I've uh we've catered for Saturday Night Live and then the twice, roots, twice twice and the roots. And um we have these boxes that we give out. And I try to put something funny about the person on each box, the celebrity on each box. And so like, so like, like Leslie Jones didn't trust you, and she, she tweeted yes. that out. She said, I don't trust this box. I'm suspicious. But when you did the Roots, what happened? First of all, to say what you did for the Roots, which is I where I just that... did each of their faces on the box. Out on, of? On each, out of construction paper. So the constru- Freehand. Freehand. So like, no, like, template. Uh, Dave, did you know this was a genre, freehand construction paper portraiture? News to me. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> Nastasia with the freehand construction paper yes, portraiture. Yes. And then what happened? And then one of the Roots, uh, the keyboardist, uh, posted his portrait on his Instagram and he got a lot of uh, comments from other famous people like DJ Jazzy Jeff and the guy that wrote The Chappelle Show, which I was very proud of. And they were all making fun of Who, the Neil drawing Brown? that are the uh, freehand construction paper portraiture that I did, which yeah. I like because I can take it. Because you could take it. Yeah. That's a skill. Well, no, what's the one you couldn't take? Was it, was Leslie it? Jones. Why I didn't like it? that she was suspicious of it. <laughs> she, like It's like she knows it hurt you. my heart. What do you mean? <laughs> she should be suspicious. Uh, all right. Call in your questions to 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. All right. Uh, so should we do some actual questions on the question-based program? Um, start with The Shape of Water. I don't know what's in the cocktail. So, you, you know, Quinn, Quinn who uh, – I'll, I'll read that thing because it's somewhere. You put this somewhere in the document, right? Uh, not sh- Okay, this is from Quinn who called in. He was the one who wanted to know about, um, I guess uh, – 
working in the business, right? How to get started in this business of kind of tech-related stuff. He's on Vancouver Island, and he can't really travel. Uh, anyway, not sure if you or Dave are big movie people, but I thought you might find this cool. I developed a carbonated cocktail based on the shape of water, and one of the actors from the movie made it. Which actor from the movie made it? I'm, I've never seen the movie. Anyway. So. Oh, it's a good movie. I liked it. I watched it. Anyway, uh, go check him out. Check out the uh, Quinn's YouTube, which is, what's his YouTube thing? It's called uh, Cooking by Q or something like this. Cooking anyway, with Q. Cooking with Q. Q. Check it out. Uh, I like carbonated. I believe it was a mixture of blue curacao, of which, by the way, everyone here knows I'm not a fan of the blue curacao. Because, here, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why I don't like blue curacao. Uh, even though, so I had a rule at Booker and Dax of no blue curacao uh, in the house. Like, we wouldn't stock it. We wouldn't use it. Uh, if you want a blue cocktail, just use FNDC Blue, right? Because if I want to use a high-quality orange product, I'll use Cointreau, I'll use Grand Marnier, I'll use Combier, I'll use a, a, a good-tasting orange product. And then I will just make the crap blue with artificial food color. Because you know how they make blue curacao? They take crappy orange liqueur and then add FNDC Blue food coloring to it. So you might as well just skip the middle person and get a good-tasting product and add fake color to it. What do you think, Dave? Uh, yeah. Yeah. But then I'm like, hey, guess what? Let's not add fake coloring to our stuff because I don't like that. Uh, now, listen, this is me. So then the first thing Nick Bennett does, Nick Bennett, uh, you know, former head bartender at Booker and Dax before Jack Schramm, goes to start his own program at Porchlight. Very first signature drink on the menu is full of blue curacao. I was like, Nick, man. Wow. Nick. But it's, it's, and he still makes it. It's like one of his better known, uh, better known drinks. Look, I appreciate blue. So why do you hate it? Why do I hate it? Yeah. It doesn't fit my style. I hate it for me. I don't actually mind the taste of it. My thing is, is that I would, I would prefer using a better liqueur with blue food coloring. So I literally would just add blue food coloring if you want the blue. Do you know what I mean? Like, first of all, like, why should, why should blue drinks just be limited to ones that you want orange flavor in? Right? I mean, if you're thinking of, of like a flavor that would be orange, would it be, I mean, sorry, blue, would it be orange? It would be blue raspberry. Which also doesn't <laughs> exist. That's like the interesting, like how did, like, I, like there's been a couple case studies in how the idea of blue raspberry came to be a thing because there aren't any blue raspberries. There aren't even blue blueberries. You think it would be blueberry, mm -hmm. right? The problem is real blueberry has a very heavy purple tinge mm -hmm. and so you can never get it to be blue. In order to get an actual blue color in a stirred style drink which is or even in like a tiki style drink uh you need to start with a clear base right and so like a lot of these uh triple sec uh quantra things are clear which makes them ideal for uh food coloring addition whereas things that have like raspberry uh like real raspberry or any blueberry in them are so darkly pigmented already you can't ride over them with that kind of neon blue um but the Shape of Water uh, cocktail, he also added some uh, green chartreuse to it, which, by the way, always a good thing. I'm very huge fan of uh, chartreuse in carbonated cocktails. Very huge fan. Love, love. A little bit goes a long way. A little bit. Although, you remember that one drink? That, you didn't like it, but it was called Chartreuse. It was just water, sh green chartreuse, and, and uh, clarified lime juice. it on fire, though. No. Just, it called, chartreuse was just, no, you're talking about the hot chocolate. So there's a classic uh, hot chocolate and chartreuse thing. No, but this is just chartreuse, water, and, uh, and clarified lime carbonated. And it's real good, but you have to really, real good, but you have to like, um, you have to like green chartreuse a lot, do you? Yeah, I like drinking it just... It's just straight? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, made by those crazy monks. Mm -hmm. All right. 
to okay now uh, back to uh, a question here. Uh, Wait, Dave, tell what? the story of uh, Daniel Day Lewis's role. That's your story. No, it's not. You. Where did what even what, what even brought that to your water, mind? Shape of Water. Oh, well, I know he's not he, in that. He's in what is he in, David? Uh, did, I, don't, I don't even the know. The Phantom. Uh, he, wait, did Menace? you say he retired yeah. and uh, and is going to bake pastries now? No, so for the Phantom it's that, Thread. Yeah, where, yeah it's, like it's that P.T. Anderson movie that got like no publicity. Yeah, he made his wife a full-on couture dress yeah, to get into course. the role. Of course, yeah, so like, since Stassi, like, <laughs> no, this has nothing to do with cooking. This is your thing, though. It has nothing to do with cooking. It's like. No, oh, it's like, I don't know. We'll get into it later. Let's see. Yeah, Did you make Nastasia a dress? No. No, no. It's like basically no, like. No, actually, it was Jen, Dave's wife, who was like, you imagine living with him when he's doing these roles. Like Lincoln, when he was like Lincoln, when he came home to his wife. Yeah, or like, like build a butcher pool. Imagine, <laughs> oh imagine like, you know, this method actor, you come home at night and you're like living with build a butcher freaking pool and he's not showered for like a month and he's like throwing cleavers into the table and wearing that damn top hat. Like yeah. you never know who's going to come home at night. <laughs> So we were joking, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis's toughest role ever, loving father of two in Hoboken. You know what I mean? It's like, we're going to come home and act normal. You know what I mean? <laughs> but um, anyway, all right. <laughs> New Lifetime movie starring Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, like toughest role to date. Um, and it kind of would be, right? It would, yeah. Yeah. Would. yeah. Anyway, so Kevin writes in, uh, long story short, of course, I'm not going to make it short, right? Because no. I'm going to go into five tan- tangents. Long story short, I want to open a cafe slash fast casual lunch spot in San Francisco and had a couple of questions for Dave and Nastasia. Uh, Nastasia. Don't I- do it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Stay out. Get out. Well, fast casual. So what's the difference, Nastasia, before we finance. get into it? What's the difference between quick service like a quick service, which is what everyone's shooting for, and fast casual. It's like just one's a subset of the other. Fast so, casual is more expensive, like 11 to $12. And, and quick and service is what? you could sit down and get your food taken, table service. Yeah, I imagine right? quick service, you don't sit, quick right? Quick service, you don't sit. Or there's quick like service a, is more like fast food. So fast casual is like that's your Applebee's, your, yeah, your TGIF. Yeah, that's still sit down. You said know. fast casual is sit fast down. Fast casual is can be sit down. Can be. Oh, man. I don't know. Okay. Anyway, all right. Now that now that you are the expert on opening these uh, <laughs> these situations, Far from it. all right. Uh, had a couple of questions for Dave and Anastasia. Hey, would you ever move back to the no. uh, Bay Area? No. Never. No. Not ever. Mm-mm. Why? Why? I don't. I didn't really like it. You didn't like the place or the people? Both. Wow. Both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you got that East Coast. Yeah. Attitude. Yeah. She. You know how like um. You know how like shark skin. Like, Nastasia will always rub against shark skin the wrong way. You know what I'm saying? It's Is that like a saying? Someone from, someone from San Francisco will, will rub their hand along shark skin in the way that won't cut them. I don't like And Nastasia the, uh, will always go the abrasive direction. I don't like the rich people who dress like crap. You know, like all the Silicon Valley people and all that stuff. If you're going to, like, I would rather be a rich wasp. Okay, so Nastasia used to be a fan of Bjork until what? What? She got her eyes dirty? She saw Bjork at a party and her sneakers were dirty. Oh. And like she's like, that oh, lady right, is yeah. too rich to be wearing filthy yeah. sneakers. Mm-hmm. I'm done with her. <laughs> that's that's true. Yeah, where was she? <laughs> she was at a Questlove salon. Oh. Anyway. Uh, so the whole guiding philosophy is act your income bracket? Yeah. I don't know. It's just yeah. it's just, it's just like talking about me. If I were super rich, I would go live on Central Park South or West and not go to like deep Brooklyn and 
new yeah. pair of sneakers every day. Every yeah. day, a new yeah. pair of sneakers. Yeah. Wow. Oh, right. Zappos would love that. Oh, my God, <laughs> yeah. right? Anyway. Uh, okay, a little more background. I run a non- currently run a nonprofit that trains folks transitioning out of homelessness, uh, training them in the kitchen. My style of cooking is plant-based, so I guess that means vegetarian, right? Possibly vegan. What do you think, Dave? Does plant-based mean vegan or vegetarian? Unclear. Unclear. I guess egg's not a plant. So plant-based, though, can have other stuff. I can have a plant-based cooking that has bacon as an accent note, can't, can't I? It's based in plants. It's all very vague. It's not based in meat. It's based in plants. Yeah, it's unclear. If you mean vegetarian, uh, Kevin, let me know. Uh, plant-based Mexican-inspired cuisine. We've been doing dinner pop-ups for about a year now, but want to have more regularity and sell more food by having our own space. Question, when opening a new food business, and here's where you come in, Nastasia, what's your process like for recipe testing and deciding on your core product slash the thing that people will know and seek you out for? This will be our first brick-and-mortar food business. Uh, any general advice you'd give me or similar people for starting their first? would love to hear about both of your experiences. All right, Stas, go. Uh, I would stick with the pop-ups and not open your own place. Come on, you hated doing the pop-ups. That sucks, too, but yeah. Well, the thing, okay, so the main difference between a pop-up... The worst part of a restaurant is employees. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> She's like, you know what? I like everything about the food business except the people that make the food and the people that eat the food. Right? No, the people that eat the food are fine. Yeah, right. but, okay, so here's what I'm going to say. The, as long as they're paying. The difference between a pop-up and a, uh, like, a full-on brick-and-mortar space is, is that you have more, I would say, more control over the consumer in a pop-up scenario than you have in a um, in a brick and mortar for this reason. In a pop-up, everyone knows it's kind of a limited time only. People a lot of times are seeking out a pop-up, so they already kind of know what your shtick is. And so you have a little more leeway, I would say, in a pop-up to go outside of someone's normal envelope or comfort zone than you would having a brick and mortar space unless you have such a well-known shtick that people are going or being driven to your brick and mortar space by your shtick. Right? When yeah. you say that's true, yeah. Stas. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's the same way that like when you're doing cooking demonstrations or ev- live events where you get to control the customer experience more than you would in a normal dining scenario, you get to go a little further outside of someone's normal zone because you have the ability to kind of steer their mind in the direction you want it to go. Whereas in a sit-down environment or if they're, if they're just coming in off the street for foot traffic, it's not necessarily um, – the same. And I think the same goes with press. Press have a different uh, expectation of an establishment when it is a permanent establishment than when it's a pop-up. When you say... Yeah. Yeah. And so you have to... Like, they're worried a lot more about... Uh, and you have to worry a lot more about uh, are you cultivating regulars? I'd much rather have... Um, I'd much rather have a, like a base of regulars because they're like steady and you get them going in. So you have to design also around, uh, you know, you design different kinds of meals, different kinds of things. If you expect someone to eat it, you know, once a week, as opposed to is this a once a month or once a year or once in your life kind of a, a situation? Wouldn't you say, Stas? Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is, is that I would do. I, as Nastasia says, I would do a lot of pop-ups beforehand because what you like or even what's successful in one or two pop-ups isn't necessarily going to be the, 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 the hit later on down the road. And there's not only what is a hit – well, here's the, the flip side of that. Something When you're developing something, 
and Astasi, you can you know about this more than anyone. Like you want that sucker, especially if it's fast casual, bulletproof, right? That is true. I'm assuming if it's fast casual, that means that eventually you don't want to have to be there every day. And if you don't want it to be there every day, either you're gonna commissary that stuff out or you're gonna cook it in the back in relatively large batches. It needs to be uniform. And you're gonna need to make sure that whoever's executing on the end isn't gonna hose your hose your product and kinda and kind of ruin it. So the hardest part is is developing your recipes such that they can be bulletproofed, right? Yeah, well, you know, Mark hasn't not been at the restaurant since we opened. Because nothing it? is bulletproof. Yeah, but that's and what he's working for. The employees towards. with, you know, all of your good intentions of helping people, they just care about their paycheck. Wow. Wow. Good luck. Well, that's the thing. Like don't expect like if you're in a fine dining establishment, right, or if you're doing something, uh, you know, nonprofit, you can get true believers, and true believers will work because they're true believers, right? Once you're in a, it's just a paycheck environment, mm-hmm. then you have to worry that they no longer care, and if they no longer care, then the product has to be truly bulletproof, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That means that's why McDonald's, you know, that's why all those places are there's no cooking. Yeah, because nobody cares. Right, right. Just grab. Put no, but the, but the hard part there is is that is that if your supply chain doesn't make make sure this stuff's a real cook, right, is on the fly changing what they're doing constantly based on the input they get. So if the produce comes in and it's different today than it was yesterday or the week before, you adjust on the fly. That's actually the hard part about doing. The kind of bar that, like I'm doing, most bartenders aren't used to having to do lots of on-the-fly adjustment for ingredients because most bartending work is done with ingredients that you can just buy and they're standard, you know, or they're in a relatively narrow, um, you know, range of stuff. Once you start dealing with produce that can be vastly different from day to day, it becomes very hard to bulletproof your recipes. And so I think that's that's what you need to kind of focus on. Don't focus on what you can make, you know, yourself or when you're leading the crew, what can you pull off? It's more like what is the highest quality slam dunkingest best thing that I can make that's resilient. So that's why and resilient doesn't necessarily mean in cooking and in bar. Resilient doesn't necessarily mean identical. Obviously, you're focusing on uh, consistency, right? That's the main thing. Consistency from day to day, from cook to cook, uh, from uh, you know week to week. But you have to accept the fact that there is going to be variance, and so certain recipes are what I like to call stable. In other words, a change in a particular ingredient, one way or the other, is not going to drastically change the flavor of the dish. Uh, and some recipes are very unstable, and so. Um, I would steer away from recipes where slight changes in the seasoning, slight changes in the cooking time, slight changes in the hold time on the line, cha- you know, radically change the um, change the uh, outcome of the dish. What do you think, Stas? Yeah, no. How are you finding your employees? And h- did you were ever worry at Booker and Dax that people were not representing the drink the way that you imagined it to be? Uh, n- well, no, but I, like. The thing about Booker and Dax was is that I loved our team. I loved our crew. You know what I mean? And um, I thought, you know, the the vast, vast majority of the people that I worked with at Booker and Dax wanted to be 
in the bar a, as professionals and they were devoted to doing a good job. You know what I mean? And that's, you know, that's the benefit. In a way, you know, in a way, people, outside people, don't understand how hard it is to try to design a program around people that don't necessarily care about the product. You know what I mean? Like, it's, I would say it's probably harder. I mean, look at Mark, right? So Mark now is running Pasta Flyer, mm -hmm. and before was running Del Posto. Mm -hmm. Everyone in Del Posto, you know, fanciest Italian restaurant there is here, right? Everyone there was a believer. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, they're all, you know, I mean, every, everyone on the team, especially the higher-ups on the team, they're all, like, aiming every day to try to produce the best product they can. What does he think is harder, working Del Posto or working Pasta Flyer? Working Pasta Flyer. Right. And people don't, the like regular outside person doesn't understand. And you're doing what, like 200, like 500 covers a night at Del Posto sometimes and three different dining rooms and, and all, and like a lot more going on than a 2,000 square foot fast food place. Right, but you, you can trust that everyone on your team like their primary goal. Now, people are incompetent, as Nastasia knows. People make mistakes, but everyone on the team is focused on the quality, not on money, because they can make more money doing something else, most of these people, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and I felt the same at Booker and Dax. I think it's inherently harder to try to make a top quality product when, I mean, think of the work involved in having to take yourself out of the equation. People don't respect the amount of work it takes to make a good product that is. Uh, invariant over the over the cook over the right. Mm -hmm. I would apply this dynamic to Heritage Radio. In fact, oh, yeah. Yeah, Ooh, yeah, yeah. How so? How so? I don't really want to get into it, but yeah, you know, <laughs> the analogy is uh, definitely hitting home for me. Really? Yeah. yeah. And you know, the other thing is Nastasia. So Mark Ladner, by the way, who used to do yoga. I don't know. No, that, I don't even know him when he did yoga. But what I mean sure. is, he's he's like in general like calm and forgiving. Yeah. Right. The opposite yeah. of you. Like you're basically opposite. Well, I'll tell you after the show what happened. All right, right, right. So anyway, so like Mark always, he kind of makes fun of both, you know, mm -hmm. Nastasia and of me because he's like, you guys think everyone's incompetent. You think that you're, you know, better than everyone. And Nastasia and are like, no, no, no. What we have is we know we suck. <laughs> That's like all we have. Like I, I always tell him and our staff, like no one is harder on me than me. So like I, I, I am the, the toughest critic of myself. And I about treat some myself like, yeah. See, she thinks she's good at darts, and in right, fact, she's stupid, garbage. Stupid stuff like she's that. garbage yeah, at darts. But anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing that he hates about us is that we just get it done and don't really think about like the consequences. So anyone that knows, <laughs> it, look, like for instance, I'll give you an example. So we're working on the new bar, right? Which I haven't announced yet. So whatever, it doesn't exist. Whatever. But anyway, so I'm working on the new bar yesterday. And uh, we didn't want to have to do it because we're trying to use as much of the stuff as we had in the space as possible. More on that later. So, I ha but we have to move the bar. And so our contractor basically said, "I but can't." The, oh, the I, the bar, the physical bar. So the contractor said, "I can't move the bar. We're going to have to build an, a new bar." So I'm like, "Well, if we're going to build a new bar, I want it to be something nice, not something garbage, right?" And so then, and then it's like we're sitting. Everyone's talking, oh this. Oh, this, oh, this, oh, this. What if this? What yeah, if this? Yeah. And I can't say this because the family show. I'll, I'll say crapped instead of, right? So my stepfather's favorite phrase, one of his favorite phrases is, you know, choose your favorite, like, it could be if, it could be but, it could be, you know, so if, we'll use if, right? If we did this, if we did that. If crapped himself. Mm -hmm. Meaning, 
like you sit around, you say if, 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 mm-hmm. if, if, you never get anything done, uh-huh. you never make it to the bathroom, uh-huh. you poop your pants. Yes. If crapped himself. Now you replace that with sugar honey iced tea and you have an actual an actual Gerard Adonisio phrase. And by the way, there is no one better at the curse phrase than my stepfather Gerard. I mean, he is like he is like from from birth gifted with a series of salty, salty phrases. Uh, but, you know, if crapped himself, you know what? It's not salty at all. And only very few people understand this. People who deal with smart people, kids especially, here's what you say. How smart? That's how stupid. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying, Nastasia? Yes. You're like, you're so smart. How could you do such dumb things? Yeah, and yeah, so the yeah. phrase you could use is, how smart? That's how stupid. And so he used to use that on me all the time. He would just look at me and say that. I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> anyway. So yesterday, we're like arguing about the bar. So uh, Jack and Bobby from the bar and I just go to Rosenzweig's and pick out uh, literally one ton, 2,000 pounds oh of lumber. And so, again, I'm not announcing anything about the bar. This doesn't exist, whatever. But like, yeah, solid two and a half inch thick mahogany. Wow. Wow. I'm just sick of crap. I'm sick of garbage. You know what I mean? Like. I have a feeling, and of course the people at Rosenzweig's believe this because they, you know, sell wood for a living, but I think that, you know, the difference between like a thin layer of plywood or like mahogany boards, like laminated together, like over plywood, people are going to be able to tell the difference between that and two and a half inch thick freaking mahogany, right? So the boards are like 10 and a half inches wide, two and a half inches thick. So it's just three boards. They're 15 feet long, so two of them to make up the, you know, two of those sections Who's to make up the board. constructing it? That has yet to be determined. Mm-hmm. It turns out my track saw is not quite, doesn't quite have an, enough penetration to go all the way through this stuff. Yep. And so either I have to buy the Fest tool, which is a very nice track saw, else let the contractor do it. Nice. So you just got it done. Just got it done. That's, That's why they got to the story. Just get the get yeah, it done. Exactly. This is giving chat room wood. In fact, really? they're all, yeah, they seem pretty excited about this. Yeah. About oh, the it's, mahogany. So here's what we're gonna do with the mahogany too, right? So first of all, the re- you know mahogany, you have to make sure that the mahogany you get is uh, there are unsustainable ways. They, they the people at Rosenzweig's told us that this is you know um, managed, so it's not we're not cutting down the last tree in the neighborhood where it came from. Um, where did it come from? Uh, I don't remember whether this one's African or South American. Anyway. Uh, it's called uh, uh, Sapelli is the variety because it's cheaper than the than the other mahogany and still w- mahogany is beautiful one water resistant is, is the other nice. and has a nice hand meaning it feels good w- once it's finished. So what we plan on doing the nice thing about the solid material is that when you're when you're running a bar what you want at the back of the bar on the bartender side is a nice drain rail. So the way that a lot of people accomplish the drain rail is you build your bar and then you put a stainless steel drip pan like a like a between 6 and 8 eight's better uh, drain rail pan on the back and uh, you put um, like a perforated stainless over that. And so that's when you're pouring, when it spills, it just spills down. You can clean it at the end of the night. So it's a lot better than rubber mats because rubber mats, when you pick them up, they spill. Also, the rubber mats aren't level with your mixing, uh, with your bar. So you can't just slide your glasses off the rubber mat. Uh, 
So rubber mats are great for home. At home, you should get a rubber mat. But uh, at a bar, it's not ideal. But what we're doing is like so much nicer because we're just going to mill, we're going to route the tray into the solid mahogany, super waterproof it, and then just put dry decking down on the on where it goes. So that it's just going to be, the, the, the drip thing is going to be just part of our freaking solid mahogany bar. I'm, I'm super jazzed about it. Like, I hope it comes out well because... Uh, lifting that much wood because when you buy that kind of lumber, did you did you put it? No, you didn't. We're on the subway. How did you? How are you? We hired a guy named Reggie, and so I sat around making Indiana Jones jokes the entire time. That's just my pet snake, Reggie. Remember that guy no. from the beginning of Indiana Jones? No. Anyway, so what you do is this lumber doesn't come because literally they're just like they saw it into whatever width it happens to be. They take the tree. They saw it. They saw the bark off. And so it's random lengths, random widths. And so you have to sit there and just sift through all these piles of lumber trying to get wood that matches mm-hmm. color-wise. And trying to, so we and the, and the yard dogs, as, as Bobby was calling them, are like super – they're like, keep the piles neat. Keep the piles neat. Keep the piles neat. It's in the Bronx. And then they're like, that pile's not neat enough. And we're like, hey – Jerko, we just bought half of your freaking mahogany. How the hell am I supposed to make the pile look like it looked before when it's half as full as it used to be? By the way, if you're in the market for one and a half inch thick, uh, like uh, finished Sapelli boards for tables or two and a half inch thick Sapelli, now is not the time to go to Rosenzweig's because we bought those suckers out. We bought like all of the good wood. The stuff that's left might as well be a corkscrew. So give them a couple of weeks. <laughs> hey, give, give them a couple of weeks to, uh, to get back to it. All right. So anyway, so um, hopefully, Kevin, we uh, answered some of your questions about uh, developing. I don't think we did, but. Yeah, no. You want to take a break? Take sure. a break. Come back more with Cooking Issues. This episode of Cooking Issues is brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, an employee-owned company that has been offering organic stone ground products for decades. Our question this week comes from Lucy. She says, I'm working on a homemade gluten-free bread for my son who has celiac. Are there any tricks for adding more structure and rise when using a gluten-free flour? Yeah, so there's a lot of tricks. Everything with gluten-free baking is about the specific application. So it's it's hard to say. Uh, what what'd she say she's making? She's bread? Gluten-free bread. Bread. I mean, depending on whether it's like a quick bread or whether you're actually trying to mimic a, a, a bread bread, the, the thing, main thing that gluten is doing is providing uh, structure. So this like allows you to form things properly. It's also what kind of holds it together. It allows it to expand and have the uh, air pockets in it like a normal bread. So it's providing that structure during the rise uh, and bake time. Uh, and then afterwards, it's also providing some of the texture from the, from the protein afterwards. But the starch then is setting it after. So what you need is something in there to hold the structure while it's rising Uh, and baking, then there's various ways you could do it. I mean, if it's supposed to be a tender, eggy kind of bread, then just add more kind of egg replacer or something that goes in there. And in fact, when, you know, people like the good folks at Bob's Red Mill are designing gluten-free flour replacers, they're designing it specifically to try to have those properties when you're baking. But you need to buy the product that is specific to the application you're looking for. So if you're trying to do bread, not a quick bread, but bread, a risen bread, you need to buy a replacer 
that is specifically intended for something like that. And that kind of, frankly, a standard bread is the hardest of the things to, to do. Another trick that I haven't played with too much, but pre-cooked starches are a good way to add some texture and snap to a product. You know, a partially pre-cooked starch base is a good way to add um, some texture. And that's how the way like a lot of like noodle bases and, and whatnot are done in uh, Asian cultures. Uh, if you have more questions about Bob's Red Mill products, tweet them on in to Heritage underscore radio. If you want to go the gluten-free or paleo route when baking, Bob's Red Mill has tons of options. Go to bobsredmill.com and use the code COOKINGISSUES. That's one word, all caps, COOKINGISSUES, for 25% off your order. And, and remember, remember, when you're subbing out a product for a traditional product, there is no one substitute meets all. So, you know, the great thing about Bob's Red Mill is they have a very wide range of products and just look into their whole range. I'm sure they have a product to fit your specific application. I tell you what, I tell you what, Dave. You know what's torture? Having to listen to us during our own break. It's yeah. supposed to be a no, now break. You know how I feel. We have to hear ourselves. Yeah. Take off the headphones. I can't even. I get can a, still hear it through I the headphones. I can't get a break from myself, Justino. Uh, uh, again, now you know how I feel. Wow. Why can't we just keep it silent? Well, <laughs> in the studio. Yeah. Well, we know how Dave feels about radio silence, don't we? Uh, it's true. True. Bringing it back. Bringing it back. So we got a question in uh, from Jay. Jay says. Having problems with my kielbasa. <laughs> Is he writing in all caps? <laughs> I just wanted to say that someone was calling in saying that they have a writing and saying they have a problem with their kielbasa. Wrong yeah, show, Jay. Wrong show. <laughs> Don't we have a show for people who are having problems with their kielbasa? What's it called? Uh, we had Love Bites. It's on hiatus, though. Oh, yeah? yeah. Who was the host? Uh, Jacqueline Raposo and Ben Rosenblatt. Yeah. yeah. So uh, this is the actual problem with kielbasa, not with... Uh, so, uh, Jay is using, uh, Polson's recipe, presumably the one out of the charcuterie book, Brian Polson's recipe, um, having problems with an off-putting, what do you think about the word off-putting? Shoot. What? What did you say shoot? You just said shoot on the mic in the air. What, what are you saying shoot about? I don't have shoes for dinner. Oh, wait, literally, <laughs> Nastasia is looking at the internet and realizing no, 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 no. I just dinner. realized I have to go out to dinner and I'm wearing snow boots. Where are you going out to dinner? Legacy Records. It is snowing, so. Wait, you hope to have like a Jay-Z sighting or something like this? I Nastasia wants... Snow boots. What? I just can't wear snow boots. Can you fancy them up? Maybe we can spray them and put sparkles Gold, on them. Yeah. Gold snow boots? You can't wear nice shoes Four when it's crappy beans. out. Well, you're the one that got dressed this <laughs> morning, Nastasia. I, yeah. I didn't get dressed for you. I know. Anyway. Uh, we're back to the to to the actual question at hand. If any of you have some suggestions for Nastasia going to Legacy Records, no, I think I'm. Didn't you already go there? Yeah. And you're going again? Yeah. All right. Uh, using Polson's recipe, I'm having problems with an off-putting, almost sulfurous flavor. The flavor is much more pronounced after pulling some out of the freezer a week later. Uh, after stuffing. I use my, after stuffing my kielbasa, uh, I use my circulator to cook the sausages in vac bags at 160 degrees Fahrenheit for an hour. I've eliminated a lot of other possible variables, such as older milk powder that has been sitting in my pantry, for instance. I also replaced the sheep casings with a collagen casing this time around as well, just in case. Is it possible 
that the cooking environment is causing some type of bad flavor from the pink salt. I intend to do another pat, uh, batch next week and steam them, but figured I'd get your take on it. Thanks, Jay. So, um, yeah, I don't know about this. I was looking at Polson's recipe. Polson's recipe is onion powder, mustard powder, milk powder, uh, meat, uh, nitrite, uh, and, and some, some other stuff. And I actually uh, texted... Um, Johnny Hunter about it uh, from Underground uh, Food Collective and Underground Meats in Madison trying to figure out what's kind of going on. I said, have you ever had a problem like this just from meat? And he said, no, it is true that a lot of the characteristic aromas of cooked meats are um, kind of sulfur-containing uh, volatiles, right? The volatiles are. But usually you're not going to get a sulfurous off note uh, from at least, and, and Johnny didn't hadn't heard about this uh, uh, either. My guess is are you uh, using uh, so what is in, in your in your ingredient list is heavily sulfur based the two things that are heavily sulfur based are the mustard and the uh, allium right the garlic powder or onion powder or whatever you're, you're using uh, I would guess it's probably that and so the real question is especially at those temperatures are you using fresh garlic instead of powder because if you're using fresh garlic uh, that could be a source of these uh, aromas because a lot of funky things can happen low temperature with garlic, especially on storage in, 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 uh, in a meat like that. So that's the first thing I look at is it that if not, most of the super volatile aromas that are made, any unpleasant ones, should flash off. If it's a bag-related... So when you're cooking something in a vacuum bag, you can often get retained uh, what I like to call high-note volatiles, so volatiles that uh, disappear relatively rapidly uh, once it's open. But a lot of that is in raw meats, so you have what's called specifically known as confinement odor. So confinement odor is kind of the small amount of bacterial action that goes on in a vac-packed uh, piece of meat, um, or even, I guess, it could be other things that are happening in there. When you open the bag, those things are finally exposed uh, to the air, and they flash off, and it has that bag flavor. You know what I'm talking about, Styles, right? Yes. When you open a vac bag of raw meat mm -hmm. and it smells like vac bag raw mm -hmm. meat, that's called confinement aroma. And so, like, that confinement aroma will flash off. And so it's also possible to get cooked notes in uh, undesirable cooked notes in bags. Uh, and, and it is true. It's, like, more often than not, uh, pork is it? Is a kielbasa is beef and pork, right? Mix? I don't know. Anyway, uh, my mom used to send me kielbasas when I started college in the mail, just specifically kielbasas. But like the more dried ones that no, were like the stable? summer sausagey type kielbasas. Yeah. yeah. Did, and did you, I don't know why. Did you enjoy them? <laughs> it was weird. I used to get a salami in the mail every once, but not but like a harder salami, like one that would keep, like one that didn't require refrigeration. Yeah. It would just show up and just sit in the dorm for a while, and you'd eat What's it. What's with the salami sending? Well, you know, that, that like, uh, there was a thing in World War II, was it uh, Katz's, that used to have a, um, uh, you know, a, a thing that's like, send the salami to, to your the boy soldier. in the yeah, army. Yeah, yeah, send the salami to your boy in the army. Yeah, that's it's it. It's still there. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. And so it's like, you know, what's something you can send to somebody that they don't have, right, that is expensive, that they don't have to refrigerate, that they can eat. Mm -hmm. That's a taste of home. So <laughs> apparently, Nastasia ate a lot of kielbasa slash summer sausage at home. And realize also that Nastasia's mom would send her plants in the regular U.S. mail, just like a plant. Not like a seed. Not a seed, Dave. A plant. Like a tomato plant, a pepper go, plant. Go to the Home is Depot. Is that legal? Not only is it not probably <laughs> legal, it's also not advisable. 
Like she would just go get like a potted plant. I swear to Christ, people, a potted plant. And then put that potted plant in a box with some wet newspaper and mail it. Now, as a formal po- as a former postal employee, yeah. I can tell you we do not treat packages well, <laughs> especially moist packages. Mm-hmm. Do not get treated well. Mm-hmm. So, and that plant killed off the entire community garden. <laughs> yeah. So, Nastasia, first of all, everybody knows California is where the stuff grows. I don't know why they call New Jersey the Garden State because all we got is corn and tomatoes, right? Like California, they legit grow stuff there, right? What that means is the mites. The mites that live in California are the hardiest, most badass mites. The mites. The mites. And so Nastasia got some sort of tomato mite shipped to her and like our puny New York like garden variety plants cannot withstand the full mightiness of the California mighty tomato mite. You could have wrecked the ecosystem. Uh, yeah. Not could have. I did. 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 <laughs> 48th Street Garden. No one had tomatoes that summer. I mean, the larger ecosystem. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. You know, there's nothing Nastasia cares less about than other people. So, <laughs> there you go. So, uh, hopefully, uh, yeah. He Johnny couldn't think of any. Th- uh, we were still talking yeah. about sausage, about kielbasa, <laughs> right? So, uh, I would look at your allium base, right? Uh, so, if it's not strictly speaking the meat, if steaming doesn't, steaming might also solve the problem. I'll tell you why. Because um, the the higher temperatures involved in steaming. If it, even if it is the garlic, will probably inactivate uh, whatever's going on. But my guess is, is that a lot of off-sulfur notes have to do with alliums. There's also a lot of, like I say, sulfur compounds because that's the primary kind of flavor compounds in a mustard. Um, otherwise, like things like livery flavors are enhanced by bags, but you're not saying like a livery flavor. You're ta- I, what I'm getting from you is more of an actual kind of sulfur thing, not a gamey or a kind of livery note. Anyway. And what do you think, Stas? Good. Yeah. Nailed I, it. I have to. I have to. <laughs> say, it. Nailed it. I won't like. So, someone, a couple people have said that they've seen it. I'm like, ah. I'm like, nah. I can't watch. Can't watch. Although it was fun to shoot. It was good to see Jacques Therese. Jacques Therese, one of the all-time like hardcore pastry chef guys. Jacques Therese, I think I've said this on the air before. Can walk into the French Culinary Institute, just walk in and do like these like hardcore sugar like demos that it would take a normal person they'd have to work up to it and practice for a while he can just walk in and like manipulate sugar like it's like it's play-doh it's crazy the guy's a sugar monster um okay dear dave dave in the booth nastasia peter who doesn't show anymore too bad peter is peter working working busy busy (laughs) busy by the way, for those of you that don't know New Yorkers, the classic thing any New Yorker says, how you doing? Busy. That's all we ever say, right? <laughs> yeah. If a New Yorker says, I'm doing well, you're like, Are you, wait, what? No. The correct answer. You're not from around here. You're not from around here. The correct answer, the, the New York way to say I'm doing fine is busy. You? <laughs> right? Oh, you're right, actually. I say that all the time yeah. now. Yeah. That's New York. I, yeah. I don't think people do that everywhere. Like, if you're, like, you know, living in Spokane, you're not like, how you doing? Busy. You? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because the assumption here is that you have no worth unless you're busy. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you're not busy when you get fired? <laughs> that is partly true, however. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Anyway. Busy. Uh, okay. So uh, this Peter, is, this is a question from here. Uriel. We need Peter to come. Yeah, on the Peter, show. busy. Uh, this is he is legitimately busy. I know. Yeah. What's uh, he doing? Well, we shut down the uh, Chow. We're doing a refurb on Chow. I owe them a lot of work actually because we're trying to add some more refurb. You have so bit. much stuff that I have to do. 
book? I owe a book. That's late. So that's, uh, don't tell my publisher, but the book's on the back burner until I get a couple of things knocked out. The bar has to get up and running, one. There's a new Booker Index prototype. Nastas, you've seen the first. I think it is amazing. For the first proto, that yeah, was It's baller, right? Amazing. Let me tell you that, like, you think, you think that we were, it is true in the past, Booker and Dax, we are trailing edge technology, as we've said many times. Mm-hmm. Nastasia has gotten us booked into several, you see, we're, in a, we're teaching business students now about how to not run a business. It's amazing. <laughs> it's about failure. <laughs> yeah, about failure. We, uh, <laughs> hey, Dave and Nastasia, we brought you in, literally, literally, he said this yesterday, we brought you in specifically to talk about failure. Go! <laughs> <laughs> But we're going to uh, use experts. these kids to help us with this third. With the third, well, uh, fourth. Yeah. You don't count, we don't count the cube. No. You know, you can still buy the, uh, buy the uh, cocktail cube, people, and I recommend it. It makes all of your drinks marginally but perceptibly <laughs> better. That's our tagline. Uh, yeah, but the next, the, the next one, I think, like, the Centrifuge is a niche market for people that want Centrifuges. The Searsall is a good product, and obviously now we know that if it goes out of stock, there's problems. Uh, the Cocktail Cube is marginally but perceptibly better. And the next one, I'm thinking, is going to be just, like... Hopefully. Like, hopefully that's, like, that's, that's the one. That's the one, right, Stas? Mm-hmm. That's the one that gets us, that, that lets you become, what, the Leatherman... Let's me get a house. Yeah, so like, as, like if I get rich, what I do yeah. is I just dress up in recycled leather clothing and wander around Connecticut aimlessly. Oh, Leatherman. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's my version of being rich. It's I, been a while all, since we talked Leatherman. Yeah, I like Leatherman. You've seen the picture of me as Leatherman, Of right? course I have. Like an hour we used Photoshop. it as an episode photo at least <laughs> twice, maybe really? three times. Yeah, it's worthy. I mean, like... I, used I, it again. We mentioned it. I looked the part. I looked the part, right? <laughs> Every time it gets mentioned, yeah, it has like, to be used as the yes. episode photo. Yeah, tweet in to Leatherman. <laughs> anyway, uh... Wait, so, do we have that handle? Somebody has to have that handle already. Uh, I'm, sure I'm sure Leatherman, the company, owns yeah. it, right? Or I, some I, I or would, some sort of, like, you know, person who wears a lot of buckskin. Yeah, more likely. Yeah. Uh, This is Uriel. Um, I wanted to ask about how to make breadcrumbs shelf-stable. I've been trying to get better at bread baking, which means I have a lot of leftover failed experiments. Hence, I've been making a lot of breadcrumbs. Unfortunately, I don't actually use breadcrumbs very often. By the way, if you don't use breadcrumbs very often, you know, a really good application for breadcrumbs, I think, the fine ones. Well, we'll get into this in a minute. Pasta. I love breadcrumbs on pasta. I was going to say meatballs. Well, on top of pasta, mm-hmm. for those of you that never had it before, you're going to be like, what is this idiot saying? That's starch on starch. You don't put starch on starch. As a, as a what's his name, uh, um, uh, Monk, Tony Shalhoub said in, uh, in Big Night, it's a starch. It's a starch. You know what I mean? Like, like uh, you, know, you don't put you know, pasta with risotto, which is true. I'll never forget my mom when she took me to Friendly's when I was a kid and I wanted to get like all the sides. I got like rice and corn and oh, she's wow. like, no, two starches. You can't do that. Yeah, Nastasia, what did you yell at me for two proteins or two he starches? Did, he gave his kid... An egg and a piece of chicken. That's two proteins. You don't do it. <laughs> Same protein. Same proteins. Oh, well, no. Different proteins. One's a baby. Anyway, point being <laughs> is that although it might sound like it's not a good idea, breadcrumbs sprinkled oh, yeah, over pasta so is Especially so Especially with the oil good. we made in the centrifuge. Oh, ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing, because it adds a crunch to the pasta, which is, I think, often desirable. And it has a history. So not, not just for kind of poverty cuisine, people that couldn't afford uh, grated cheese, um, you know, for their pasta. But also remember that a huge number of Italian recipes don't have cheese or dairy in them specifically because they are designed around fast days, which is why fish recipes don't typically contain dairy and or cheese in Italian uh, recipes because 
um, all those fish ones are based on uh, kind of either Lenten or fast uh, fasting day recipes, of which one-third of your days typically, right? You used to have just... In my lifetime, people still did Meatless Friday. but I, like, I can vouch for this, yeah. Yeah, but it used to be a lot more days than just uh, Friday. It was like because any random feast, uh, fast day was a, was a fast day. And so breadcrumbs are a good alternative. And, you know, um, anyway, so it's like breadcrumbs are, are good for that. It's, it's my, my thing I like to. Anyway, so back to the Uriel's question. Um, I don't use them very often. I was wondering how they could get the stuff you buy in stores shelf-stable. I took Dave's advice and looked on the ingredient list at the back of the can but didn't see anything helpful. I also tried Googling but didn't see anything there either. would be great if I could figure it out. Well, the good news is, Uriel, that if you just make breadcrumbs uh, normally, they are shelf-stable, right? So what you want to do is I would let them stale out. First of all, like slice them thin, put them on a tray, let them stale out 100%. Then you can um, toast out. I think the reason people have problems with breadcrumbs is they try to take fresh bread, toast it out, mm-hmm. and then um, and then you always have a, a gummy inside and a crunchy outside. Those form those kind of bigger, soft breadcrumbs, which don't necessarily work in this. Or they dry it out like a hundred percent, and then when they pulverize it, it gets real, real small, gets to a dust. I would I would slice them stale them out till they're hard, pulse them down to breadcrumb, and then toast out the breadcrumbs. What do you think, Stas? How do you guys do it? He puts, yeah, stale, um, sold in street bread, and then oil, herbs. I don't know how Does he, he cook then pulse or pulse oh, twice? Uh, I don't know. The point is, is if you take, if you make your breadcrumbs 100% dry and toasted, and then you hit them in a, in a Roboku or in a Cuisinart, you'll turn them to dust. You'll get big pieces that don't break down, especially if you try to toast fresh bread. You'll toast fresh bread. The cores, which are resilient, will stay as big pieces, and the outside will turn to dust. The way he does it is takes like a hotel pan, puts them in there, and then takes another hotel pan. And and crushes crushes them. Right. So manual crushing is a good way if they're 100%... Uh, dry, right? So you can use manual crushing or like a pestle or something like that to get it. That's a good way to do it. But uh, some combination of staling and or toasting and then figuring out like when the crushing happens. Probably like a... Like, but don't burn them. That's the other issue. It's like uh, people often don't realize how fast and some, once something is dry and the water is mostly gone out of it, it goes from zero to boint like right away. If you want them 100% shelf stable, I wouldn't oil them then, because if you're going to pack them in containers and you've oiled them and toasted them, they might go rancid over time. But just seal them in a container with no air. If you have a vac, we used to take things like breadcrumbs. Let's say you live in Louisiana and it gets real humid. Uh, you can just take mason jars, put them in a vacuum, and then suck a vacuum on them. The mason jars will suck themselves down, and a breadcrumb will last uh, through the next ice age in one of those environments. All right, got to wrap it up. Yeah, that's it, Dave. What? We actually did a full... Straight hour. Yeah, we, you should you should get used to this. You yeah, should. but we had we had a bunch of questions about how to use the spinzol. We're oh, gonna do that next. Oh yeah. Mito Yahi writes in. No, said, no, no, next curi- week. Okay, okay. We'll, we'll, Facebook people. We'll fa- get Facebook here. people will get to all of your seri- uh, spinzol questions. Wait, are we we're around next week? Right? Am I gone next week? No, I'm flying what? back again from Denver next week on Tuesday. So in two weeks, we will, we, will get, we will get all of your Spinzol-related questions. Facebook them all in. We'll hook you up with more Spinzol stuff. Cooking issues. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. 
For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thank you.